morning. How's it going? I'm so glad you're here. I'm Cameron, and if I don't know you, I'm on staff here at the church, and I'm thankful to be with you today. If you're joining us online, we're so thankful that you've joined us, and we hope you feel part of our worship experience and that you feel at home. Um, I hope that you had an awesome Thanksgiving. I have to tell you, uh, we did. There's uh, just four of us in our family, of um, my parents and my sister and my sister and I. I think that's four. Um, <clears throat> anyway, there's four of us, and I uh, got to go home. We both got to go home to be with our parents and Troy, um, but we also got to have my grandmother with us, and she's 95 and is in an assisted living facility and has not gotten to have a holiday with us since Christmas of 2019. There we are. And um, we got her, that lampshade looks like a hat. I told, <laughs> I told Katie after we got out of there, we looked at the picture. I was like, I did not foresee that. I should have moved it. But <clears throat> excuse me. We had a lot of fun. Lampshade ended up as her hat. But anyway, we um, had the best time with her. And she um, has not gotten to be out since 2019 except for doctor's appointments. And we haven't gotten to be at those appointments with her or anything. So we did briefly get to see her for her birthday um, in May when she turned 95 in person. But aside from that, we haven't. So it was such a treat to not just get to be with her, but she got to come home with us. So we got to have her at my parents' house, and it was awesome. So I hope you all had a wonderful Thanksgiving wherever you spent it and however you spent it for us. It was a real blessing, um, a real, real blessing. And speaking of home, today we're going to start a series um, through the Advent season here at the church for, uh, from now to the end of the year to talk about uh, what it means to be at home for Christmas, what it means to be at home um, for a Christian. What does that mean if we claim to be believers in Jesus? What does it mean for us to be at home? So today we're going to kick that off and, and say that it's time to come home. What does it look like for us to do that? So for those of you who may not know what Advent is, let me unpack it a little for you so you have a little bit of a clearer understanding. Um, it's a time in the calendar year that we set aside to prepare our hearts and our minds and our lives for the birth of Jesus that we celebrate in December. Now, um, I don't know that Jesus was born on December 25th. I kind of think he wasn't, but it doesn't matter. It's when we celebrate it. And so we set aside these four weeks prior to Christmas to prepare ourselves. So we'll do that in worship every week. And you saw the AMAX this morning um, share our Advent reading and our prayer. We light a candle each week that have different themes. Um, and then on Christmas Eve, the Christ candle is in the middle. And we light that on Christmas Eve to commemorate his birth. So we'll be doing that every week together here. But I hope... And I would challenge you throughout the Christmas season, if you haven't um, developed a habit of spending time with the Lord every day, use this four-week period of time to do that. There's lots of creative and cool ways to get into the Word of God. And if you need help knowing how to do that, ask us and we will help you. But use this time to kickstart yourself into that habit. There's, there's no better time to, than to leading up to what really was the crux of our faith if Jesus coming and Debbie said there's not much better than that except maybe Easter, you know, when Jesus died for our sins. And we're going to talk about that today. But it's exciting to have this sort of four-week long view toward Christmas. So my challenge for you is to do that. The word Advent is derived from a Latin word that means coming. And so we're looking forward, and actually we're looking back at the first coming of Jesus, but it's more than just that. It's looking forward to his second coming because he is coming back 
Um, the, the word tells us that and promises that, that Jesus is coming back. Every day we have is a day closer to him coming back. That's exciting to me. Some days I think, Lord, just come on. You know, I'm ready now. Um, especially during football season when you're a Tennessee fan. But I will say we're looking better, folks. We're looking better. And my, my condolences to, to um, Jeff Lucas this morning on Ohio State losing. My, my, my apologies to you. But... We're looking forward to Jesus coming back. So we're, we see his first coming and then looking forward to his second coming. So that's the, the definition practically of what Advent is. But what is it for us, um, you know, how do we live that out day to day? The Advent season, like I said, is these four weeks leading up. This morning, we talked about the candle of love and what that means to live in love with Jesus and how that transforms our life. Next week, we're going to focus on hope. The third week will be joy. And then finally, the fourth week will be peace. And then the Christ candle, which we light on Christmas Eve. In our context as believers, if we claim to be Christians, love, hope, joy, and peace are things that should be part of our lives. In fact, they're uh, fruit of the Spirit that should be played out in our lives. But we can experience those as gifts from God um, in our lives as we spend time with him and as we grow. But he chose to come and make his home with us. That is mind-blowing to me. And it's humbling to think any time uh, that I realize how, how bad I am that Jesus chose to come and be with me. He loves me that much. I'm not that good. I'm not that lovable. But he chose to do it. And it's an amazing thing. The king of the universe wants to make his home with me. So today, we're talking about it's time to come home. So not only are we going to be talking about Christ coming and making his home among us like he did 2,000 years ago, but what does that look like to make our home with him today? In order to really fully understand how to make our home with Christ today, we have to look at the first coming of Christ. And that's what we're going to focus on today. We celebrate the fact that Christ came in the flesh so that we could make our forever home in him. In fact, John 1.14 spells it out really plainly in which for a person like me is important because I don't, I'm not that smart and I need things real simple. I need you to just spell it out. Give me the bottom line. Don't give me a whole lot of other things that, that will confuse me, okay? I need a bottom line. This scripture does that. Um, in John 1, it says the word, it's talking about Jesus here, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. Pretty plain, right? What is a dwelling? Home, right? It's somewhere we live. Jesus made his dwelling among us, and it was his choice to do so. It wasn't, he wasn't forced or coerced to do it. He loved us and wanted to come. So let me take a second, though, and say to you, um, if home is not a pleasant memory or a pleasant idea to you, let me say, if you'll hang with me, like some of you have checked out already because you think, Home ain't no place I like to be. And it could be because you grew up in a bad home. It could be that you're currently in a bad home. It could be that you've been the cause of a bad home. I don't know. But if you will hang with me, I'm trusting the Lord to change your mind about what home can look like and why it's important to make our home with him. So today we're going to take a look at that great love of God that he has for us. He loves us so much that he was compelled, not forced, but compelled to come and make his home with us. 
It wasn't a spur-of-the-moment decision. God created us to be in relationship with him. But let's look back for a minute and see what was the cause of Jesus coming in the first place. He had to come, but he chose to do it. Why? Because we mess things up. You don't have to know a whole lot about the scripture to know the story of Adam and Eve, right? They were the first people. They messed things up. God gave them a perfect home. They were in Eden in the perfect place. And it's easy for us to look back. It could be real easy to just shake our finger at them and go, these people, what was wrong with them? But we would probably made the same decision. But I love that God gave them a choice. He didn't force them to love him. He didn't force them to live in perfection. He gave them a choice. The choice led to the need for Jesus to come. But they, they weren't happy in perfection. Somehow, it wasn't enough for them. I don't understand that. But they'd never experienced anything else, and they thought it wasn't enough. It was, but they thought it wasn't. So they, they didn't realize what God was trying to protect them from. They just wanted what they didn't have. And so they stepped outside of God's plan, and then all of a sudden, they've sinned, right? They ate the fruit of the forbidden tree. And so at that point, God puts into motion a plan to redeem them and to redeem all of creation because their actions affected us. All this time later, their sin left us in a really bad spot and left us in a broken place in our own sin. But from the very beginning, the first word of the Old Testament through to the last word of the New Testament, God had a plan of redemption. This didn't catch him off guard. It didn't take him by surprise. He didn't go, oh no, now I need another idea. That didn't happen. God was not caught off guard. He had always planned to send Jesus because he knew that man would choose something else. God chose to fix a problem that only he could fix. We could never do that for ourselves. We're going to look back at a piece of scripture in the Old Testament that was a a prophecy or a foretelling of Jesus coming. If you know much about the Bible, the Old Testament, um, Jesus was not physically on earth yet. He was on, he was in the picture um, because, like I said, God had a plan for him to be in the picture from the beginning. Um, but he's not on earth until the New Testament starts. That's what kicks off the New Testament. So the Old Testament, there were lots of things leading up to Jesus coming, and some of those things were prophetic words that were given by people God chose to deliver his word to people. And one of those people was Jeremiah. Uh, this was around 627 B.C., and Israel had sinned against God and had been taken into captivity into Babylon. Um, at this point, Israel was no longer a unified nation. There was a northern part and a southern part. Uh, the northern part uh, was called Israel and the southern was called Judah. Israel is already in captivity for their rebellion against God. Um, if you read the Old Testament very much or you know, you remember any old Bible stories from when you were in Bible school or Sunday school, this is a theme, right? God's people rebelled again and again, and it cost them every time, over and over again. So they're split. Israel is already in captivity, and Judah followed suit and ended up under siege to the Babylonians as well. Jeremiah has been prophesying the destruction of Judah. So this, this was not something that should have surprised them. Um, God was giving them a heads up and telling them, but they weren't listening. But God is telling them he's going to allow them to be carried off into captivity, into Babylon, and he'll, they'll spend time there as captives. Although God allowed that 
for them to move into captivity, he had a plan. They didn't know it, but he did. This is the place where Jeremiah starts talking, and I want us to look at the scripture that's chapter 33, verses 14 through 16. And it says this, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will fulfill the good word which I have spoken concerning the house of Israel and the house of Judah. In those days and at that time, I will cause a righteous branch of David to spring forth, and he shall execute justice and righteousness on the earth. In those days, Judah will be saved, and Jerusalem will dwell in safety, and this is the name by which she will be called. The Lord is our righteousness. In this dark moment in history, think about this, the, the entire nation, all of God's people, Israel, the, the Jewish people are called God's people, right? He has set them apart to be his people, yet they continue to mess up again and again. And he has created a place for them of hope. He speaks this word. So you think about living in a real dark spot, but God starts speaking this through Jeremiah. That's a good word, something to hold on to when they were in this tough place. But it's, it's referred to here, the branch of David. Who is that? If you remember in 1993 in Waco, we heard about the branch Davidians, right? This was a little bit of a, not a little bit, but a kind of a far extreme um, group of folks who had some extreme beliefs, and that ended poorly for them. They were called the Branch Davidians. I remember I was a teenager at the time, and I remember watching that and hearing that term and thinking, Ooh, that's bad. And that whole situation that happened was bad, but this actually originally their name came from the scripture. The branch of David is referring to Jesus. So again, this is Old Testament pointing toward the coming of Jesus. Looking back from our perspective all these years later, we have the advantage of the full scripture. They didn't have that advantage. We can see, oh, we know that that's a prophetic word about Jesus. They didn't know that at that time. But the promise was that a Messiah was coming to bring righteousness and judgment. The Bible says that the Messiah will be born of David's lineage. So David was someone that folks in the Old Testament were very um, familiar with. Uh, he was a king. And then uh, knowing that he would, Jesus would come through that line, they just don't know who he's going to be yet. But that's the promise is that he will come from there. And he will be the one to execute both righteousness and judgment. So we understand that Jesus is the Messiah. And that's the person that we're talking about in this scripture, okay? I want to look at three things from the last verse um, in that section that we read in verse 16 um, that tells us that Judah will have the things that they will have because of Jesus. It's speaking directly to them. And I will say to you, I don't believe in taking scripture out of context and reading into it things that aren't there. Um, but I believe that this Old Testament prophecy, because it's talking to God's people, we are also now included in that. We are also God's people, so this does apply to us. It says Judah, but you could insert your own name there too. It's talking to us. So the first thing is this. Because of Jesus, we have salvation. God is sending this Messiah who has the capacity to save. He didn't send um, somebody who could get half the job done. He didn't send somebody who might be able to save us. He sent Jesus who completely had everything necessary and needed to save us, the full capacity to do it. I don't have that. I know a lot of you, and you don't either, you know? But I will say, thank God for Jesus, that he had a better plan than us. 
I've said this to you before. It's a good thing I'm not the Savior because I don't like everyone, and it would not end well for some people, right? It would not. But I, but I know that Jesus is better than me. He has a better plan, and he's kind, and he's good, and he's loving, and his arms are open to everybody. And God had this plan to redeem mankind from the beginning through that. I'm so thankful. In this story, there's none of this, well, if Judah gets it together, then I'll send the Messiah. Or if uh, they're good this many days in a row, then uh, I'll send Jesus or I'll send the Messiah. There's no like divine sticker chart to make your way to heaven or into relationship with, with Jesus. Um, did you ever do this with your kids? Did you have sticker charts with your grandkids or if you were a teacher, you had some sort of a reward system? When I was about eight, my parents, um, my, my dad had been to seminary and he was just getting out of seminary. He was at his first appointment as a United Methodist minister as an associate. He wasn't making very much money. Um, my mom was a stay-at-home mom with me. I'm eight and Katie was about a year and a half old. And they decided to try to get me to do what I was supposed to do, um, that they would develop a stick chart system, okay? I'll respond well to rewards. I don't know about you, but I do. Uh, and I'm fairly competitive, so even with myself, I was going to win, right? So my mom makes this big sticker chart, and at the top it said Cam's trip to Disney World or something like that. Now, my parents didn't have any money, none, okay? But they were going to take me to Disney World. I'm eight. Katie is one and a half. Let me say this to you. Don't do that. Do not go to Disney in the summer with an 18-month-old. It was the worst. I had the best time. My parents did such a good job of not letting me know. But years later, they were like, that was the worst vacation we were ever on. It was so hot. You couldn't take your own strollers in at that time. You didn't, they didn't know anything. I mean, it was just so hard. They had the worst time. I was living my best life. But in order to get that trip, I had to go the whole school year with my sticker chart and do well on it. Now, they had a lot of grace for me because there's days I talk a lot. And so in class, there were days that my behavior wasn't great um, because I would be too busy talking to my neighbor. I'm probably telling them what to do, you know. Um, and I'm talking too much. And so sometimes I didn't get a sticker that day. So that had a lot of grace for me, but it was for chores and good behavior and things like that. So fast forward, I make it. I get to go to Disney World with my family, although it was such a hard trip for them. God doesn't do that with us. It was a great motivator, and it's a good discipline for kids and a thing you can use in our brokenness as human beings. And my parents, bless them, my mom said that I called her to tell her I was going to use this story, and she said, we didn't, we didn't make you go the whole school year just to be cruel. We just needed time to save money. Like, I mean, this didn't have anything to do with you being good for a really long time. We just needed time, you know? So... <clears throat> We go to Disney, and it was wonderful, but at the end, there was this reward I was working for. But God doesn't do that with us in salvation. There's no way to earn our way to heaven. We can't do it. It's simply a matter of receiving the salvation that Jesus offers to us. Acts 4.12 talks about salvation through Jesus, and it says this, and there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven that's been given among men by which we must be saved. 
So we're saved by the name of Jesus, but it's more than just his name. When we're saved by that and under this banner of his name, we become part of him. The scripture says that, that we become the righteousness of Christ. I don't deserve that, but God gives it to me, and it's an awesome thing. There's no reason he should offer that to me, but he does. So it's not just his name, but it's his righteousness and his character and his mind and his heart and all these things that he offers to us and does this transforming thing in our lives. It's, it's more than just what he did for us. It's who he is. That righteousness that Jeremiah was talking about, the Bible goes on in the New Testament saying that we receive that as ourselves too as the righteousness of Christ. We're not good enough or charming enough or funny enough or clever enough or holy enough to make our way to heaven. We could never do it. Could never do it. He chose to make his home with us and chose to invite us to make our heart his home. I love that. It's so freeing and an amazing and an overwhelming thing. Humbling that Jesus chose to do that. Just about more than I can take, I'll tell you. So that's the first way that we can be at home with Christ is to make our heart his home because he offers us his salvation. All right, the next thing is that Jesus offers us safety. Let's look back at our scripture again. In verse 16, it says, Jerusalem will dwell in safety. Again, this verse is talking to Judah because it refers to Jerusalem, but it's applicable for us today. So what does it mean? 2 Timothy 4.18 says, The Lord will rescue me from every evil deed and will bring me safely into his heavenly kingdom. Now these words were spoken by the Apostle Paul um, from prison at the end of his life. He's in, in a Roman prison and he's um, trying to convey all that he's learned and all that he knows to his protege. He's writing all this down and trying to convey it to him, pass on his knowledge and encouragement to him. He had endured a lot in his life, and at this point he's in prison because he was boldly proclaiming the word of God to people who had never heard about it. Remember, this is early in the church um, because uh, the church had just been born, right? Jesus went back to heaven. Acts, the book of Acts starts, and the um, Holy Spirit comes, and the church is born. So these are new believers, and Paul spent his life traveling around and telling people about the good news of Jesus Christ. But in doing that, he was beaten and flogged and stoned and lost at sea and shipwrecked and a whole host of other things. And then he lands himself in prison here at the very end. It's amazing to me. I was reading that scripture, kind of going back through and looking at the things that Paul had endured. And it said he was shipwrecked three times. And you know what my first horrible fallen thought was? Don't get on another boat. I mean, I'm thinking, why do you continue to get on these boats if you're ending up in places like this? You know why? He was doing what he was called to do. That God had called him to share the word so that people would know who he was and be able to receive salvation. I challenge you to go back and read the story of how Paul came to salvation himself. It was a radical experience, and he wanted everyone else to have that same experience. He didn't have a choice to not go and do. His life had been so transformed, he wanted to offer people that same salvation through Jesus by sharing the word with them. That's what ended him up in prison. But in all of these missionary travels that he took to tell people, he endured all these hardships. Yet he says in that scripture 
the Lord will rescue me from every evil deed and will bring me safely to his heavenly kingdom. He did. God was faithful to that. Even though things looked bad, looked really hard, and like they should not have gone so poorly if God was protecting him, you know, but, but he didn't, he had not died. He continued to live and share the word. So everything short of death, he was, and even unto death, he was willing to do to tell people about Christ. That's what he was doing. So it proves that Jesus offers safety, right? Because he doesn't say he'll protect us from all the hard things. It doesn't say he'll give us a life of ease. It says that he will, he will deliver us from the evil things and safely into his kingdom, which is heaven. I'll say on this side of heaven, sometimes heaven looks a lot better. Most of the time it does, right? Are there days that you just go, Lord, come on. Come on back. My mom says that sometimes. She says, I just long for heaven. There's just something in us as believers and even as non-believers. That's, I think, what draws us to Christ is this desire for something more that's beyond us. It's this pull toward eternity and a pull toward heaven um, that lives in us, that we want to be on that side. But while we're here, the word promises that we'll dwell in safety. That's awesome to me. It won't be easy, but we will be safe. We're safe. In him. I'm so, so thankful. It's a security that goes far beyond anything that the world can offer. Regardless of what happens, Paul's telling Timothy that God's in control, that he will take care of the things that are out of control in our life. John 10 27 records Jesus saying it like this <clears throat> My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. And I give eternal life to them, and they will never perish, and no one can snatch them out of my hand. Those who the Lord has saved are secured in him. We can know that we're safe there. I, my very favorite verse in all of the scripture is John 16, 33. Um, and if I was brave enough to get a tattoo, that's what I would have. I'm just not brave enough to do it. But it says in this world, Jesus is talking here, in this world you will have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the world. There is nothing outside of God's vision. There's nothing outside his purview, right? He can see everything. Nothing takes him by surprise. It did not shock God to have to send Jesus for us. We are safe in him. The last thing that Jesus offers us if we make our home in him is this. We're sealed in Jesus. Our verse in Jeremiah says, and this is the name by which she will be called. The Lord is our righteousness. Have any of you ever been a, around a cattle ranch before or watched westerns i'll say in my house we watch a lot of westerns we're big john wayne fans in my house and um and every other western that could come on we watch gun smoke and all that what do they do when they have a herd of cattle what does a rancher do in order to prove that the cattle belong to him he he brands them right so it's not enough to just say yeah those are my cattle he has to, there's a difference in knowing they're yours, but proving it to the rest of the world, right? So they don't get stolen. And so he, he creates a brand that's only his, and he brands his animals to prove that they belong to him. Well, that's kind of what God does to us. He doesn't hit us with a hot poker, right? But he does say, they belong to me. If I choose to walk with him, then, then that transforms me into something else, into someone else, that I belong to God. So my name doesn't just isn't just Cameron. My name is the Lord is our righteousness. Now, 
if, if I meet Robert for the first time and he says, hi, my name's Robert, what's your name? I don't respond with, the Lord is my righteous. I don't say that. I say my name's Cameron. But, but with that, because I've chosen to be a Christian, because I've chosen to be a believer in Jesus, I have received that righteousness, and I am sealed in him. The enemy can do nothing to take that away. Nothing. Now, he can try. He can do a lot of things to discourage us and to push us into places and do things that, that are uncomfortable and hard. But the enemy does not have the power to steal my salvation. He does not. He does not have the power to steal your salvation. Now, we can forfeit it. We can say, Lord, I don't want that. I don't want you. And we can walk away. But, but it cannot be stolen from us. So we are sealed unto him until the judgment day unless we choose to walk away, right? So we're not, we don't introduce ourselves that way, but we are called something. What are we called? Christians, right? The interesting thing about being called a Christian isn't um, a name that Christians gave themselves. It was actually given to Christians by non-Christians who saw the transformation that happened in the lives of these people who, who chose to follow Christ. So they gave the, the new converts the name Christian, which means little Christ. That's a, a brand and a name if we choose to follow Jesus that we wear and the world should know that. We don't have to be loud about it. We don't have to be hateful about it. We shouldn't be hateful about it. We shouldn't be judgmental about it. We shouldn't do any of things like that that would discredit the name of Christ. But simply being adopted by him gives us this amazing perspective and a way to love the world and they should know that about us, right? There's an old song that we sing, they will know... Uh, we're Christians by what? Our love. We should love people. We should act in a way that is Christ-like. As God's people, we're living out this promise that he set in motion even way before Jesus showed up on the scene in this Old Testament scripture. There's something else real quick I want to tell you about this passage um, before we end. Um, we need to, to pay attention to this, that God spoke this promise into a desperate, a hopeless situation, despite the fact that his people were under siege and in captivity from their enemies, they were under threat of being carried away from everything they ever knew, but God had already made a way out. They didn't know that, but he already had a way out. Don't miss that. In Genesis, when Adam and Eve sinned, God made a way out for them. When Israel and Judah sinned and were taken into captivity, God made a way out for them. When we mess up things and we don't have it right, and I do that too many times to count, he's made a way out for me. It's Jesus. It was always the plan. He saw me from the beginning and said, that girl's going to need some help. Okay? He knew it. He's going to send Jesus. That, that was not a desperate act of a God who didn't know what to do. It was a desperate act of love toward his people who wanted them to himself. He, he wants to spend eternity with you. But you've got to choose him back. He chose you. He chose me. The best decision I ever made was to say yes to him. So I, I'm challenging you with that today. We mess things up. But he always, always had a plan to save us and secure us and seal us to himself. If you feel like you are lost and far from home and not in a place where you belong, 
Uh, if you're struggling, you may realize that you have need of a Savior, something bigger than yourself, someone bigger than yourself in Jesus. You may realize that. Um, you may have chosen to follow Jesus, but you're just struggling and having a hard time. I get that. We, we, we are not promised an easy life, but we are promised a secure one and a safe one and a saved one. But we have to make that choice for ourselves to receive something beyond ourselves. So I'm going to challenge you today to do that. We do this every week. We pray together. And I'm going to, Bill, I'm going to do that. I'm taking your job. Okay. We're going to pray together today. And we're going to pray all together. And we always do this. We invite you to pray out loud. Even if you've been walking with Jesus every day of your life, as long as you can remember. I hope you have been. But if you haven't, um, or you want to recommit your life to him because you've just kind of gone off the rails somewhere, something has happened that has taken your legs out from under you. We're going to pray, and I want you to pray out loud with me so nobody feels left out. And we're going to ask the Lord to do in us what only he can, that we could never, ever do on behalf of ourselves. We come under his name and under his protection and under his saving grace is an awesome thing. So I'm going to invite you to pray with me. And after the service is over, would you find me or find one of the folks who are on stage here or anybody, find somebody and they'll get you to the right person if you don't, if they don't know what to say to you. <clears throat> find somebody and talk to us about it. We want, we want to help you know what it really means to experience all this that we talked about today, to be saved and to be secure. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you that today you are bigger than us and you have more in store for us than we could imagine or do for ourselves. And so, Lord, I pray that today your Holy Spirit would, would stir in us a hunger to, to have more, to experience more, to see more, to live more in you. So, Lord, would you do that today? Jesus, would you make yourself plain to us we want to walk with you so I would invite you to pray with me dear Jesus thank you for loving me I know I do not deserve it but you love me anyway I pray that today you would forgive me of everything I've ever done that has not been pleasing to you. Help me to make my heart your home. Come and live in me. In Jesus' name, amen.